0: Well, Clint, we sure are glad to have you back on the Infrastructure Junkies podcast. Thank you for agreeing to join us today.
1: Dave, you know what? I'm excited to get to join you and Kristen, but this is kind of like that awkward moment where you've got two really good trial lawyers and they're trying to figure out who's going to be first chair. I mean, I thought this was going to be the Eminent Domain podcast.
0: No, Clint, Uh does this look like the Eminent
2: Domain podcast?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It it does where I'm sitting. Oh, well, maybe, maybe, We can do both. What do you think?
2: That's the plan. Listen, we're all friends here. Clint, you've been on our show. And I think what was one of our favorite episodes of all time is called 50 Dates with Clint Schumacher. We've been on your show. I think the topic that we have at hand today is so monumentally important to everyone in our industry. Both of our listeners need to hear it from both sides. Let's do a joint episode.
1: Kristen, as always, you speak with the voice of wisdom and experience, and, and this is this is such an important topic to both of our industries. I mean, how often do a billion dollars get dumped into, multiple billions of dollars get dumped into industries that you work in? I think that's a great idea. Let's do a joint episode.
0: Okay. I'm in. Yeah, I'm excited about this. So this is, if anybody who's not clear on it yet, this is going to be a joint episode with a special guest about the brand new bipartisan infrastructure bill.
2: This is Infrastructure Junkies.
0: Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development.
1: On this special joint episode of the Eminent Domain Podcast and the Infrastructure Junkies Podcast, we are joined by Jeremy Young of the Rutzel and Andrus Law Firm based in Ohio to talk about the recently passed Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Jeremy's practice focuses primarily on infrastructure and real estate-related issues and disputes, including eminent domain matters. He has experience representing both property owners and condemning authorities, giving him insight into the approaches of both sides. Jeremy has been recognized by the Ohio Super Lawyers Magazine. He's been nominated and called and confirmed as one of the best lawyers in America, and the Martindale-Hubbell Law Directory has awarded him their very prestigious AV preeminent peer review rating. He is regularly invited to serve as faculty in continuing legal education seminars on eminent domain and infrastructure issues. In fact, it was his recent CLE presentation that was titled Infrastructure and Eminent Domain what's coming and what to do about it that first connected Jeremy and I. And I know from having already heard him talk about this, he's got a great deal of insight into this historic infrastructure bill. And Jeremy, we're so excited that you're here to break it down for us, particularly as it relates to eminent domain and the right-of-way industry. So Jeremy, welcome to the show, or shows as we uh, have the uh, opportunity to do today. Thanks, Clint.
2: Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hi, Kristen.
0: Jeremy, I'm going to kick things off, and I'm going to satisfy our listeners by starting things. So so the first question that every infrastructure junkie in the world wants the answer to, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, hit me with it. All right, Jeremy, did you speak in class today?
3: <laughs> did I speak in class today?
2: Jeremy, you're going to have to forgive Dave. This is a Pearl Jam reference. We do this sometimes on our show. So Dave, get serious. All
0: right. Okay. I know. You told me not to cut up in front of Clint and chase his guests off. <laughs> Jeremy, in all seriousness, although the word infrastructure is in the title of this bill, I think there was disagreement during the passage about what type of infrastructure spending should be included. And I, being the dim bulb among this group, like to start with the basics. So let's start right there. What type of infrastructure gets funded in this bill? Let's stay towards the edge of the funnel, so to speak.
3: Sure. Thanks, Dave. And for anyone who is following the evolution of this bill, you know, it started out with the American Jobs Plan that the Biden administration put forth, which was a $2.3 trillion package that was really broken into two different components. The first was sort of what people would consider traditional infrastructure, physical infrastructure, roads, bridges, water pipes, that kind of thing. And then the second was what they called human infrastructure, job training, child care, things that would help people be more productive in the workforce. What it eventually got whittled down to was just the the former definition, the kinds of infrastructure that most people think of when they hear the term. We're talking about things like, like I said, roads and bridges, public transit, rail lines, both passenger and freight, and that includes Amtrak, ports, both land and water ports around the, the country's borders. And then you have inland waterways, airports, I apologize because I feel like I'm just reading a list, a laundry list here. It is is kind of a laundry list. But drinking and wastewater infrastructure and the electric transmission grid were really the the largest points of agreement between both parties in terms of what kinds of things constituted infrastructure. And those are the kinds of things that show up in the act.
0: Do you have any idea how they came up with that very comprehensive list? Did they just throw a bunch of ideas in a pot and then talk it through? or you know? And, and I suspect that a lot of the listeners from both shows have their own pet form of infrastructure. So just curious how those topics got included, if you know.
3: Yeah, my understanding is it was a product of a back and forth debate between the parties. So in response to the Biden American Jobs Plan, there was something called the Republican Roadmap, which was put forth by a group of Senate Republicans to sort of stand as a counterpoint to the White House's proposal. That plan was a lot different from the Biden plan for obvious reasons and involved mostly reauthorization of existing spending levels. There's a lot of trouble trying to compare the two plans because it wasn't apples to apples because the Biden plan really focused on new funding. But that dialogue, the back and forth in terms of what came out as far as the infrastructure definition goes, I'd say that the Republicans really won the day on that dispute because the categories that ultimately made their way into the act were the categories that were included in the Republican roadmap.
1: Jeremy, you mentioned it was a $2.3 trillion bill, which is mind boggling. But what period of time is that funding spread over? Is it over a number of years?
3: Yeah, it is, Clint. It's a five-year plan. It begins in fiscal year 2022, so this year. And we just had our omnibus appropriations bill passed last month. That's going to be relevant every year to fund this act going forward because the act authorizes funds for, it came down to about $1.2 in the final bill. And it authorized all that funding, but it only appropriated a limited amount of it, which was a direct appropriation included in the bill. And and if you're not a legislation or public policy wonk like I was not before I got involved with this topic, just allocating the funds in the infrastructure bill is not enough to get these projects moving. You have to have a separate appropriation or either an appropriation in the Act or a separate bill.
2: (music) Well, Jeremy, that kind of leads right into my question, which was gonna be how does the money get allocated and who makes those decisions?
3: The Act is very specific in terms of what gets allocated to what buckets, Uh, and there are a number of existing and new federal programs that are created by the Act for all these projects. This is really where you can get bogged down in the minutia, but I do think that it's worth it to go through some of the more notable categories and talk about the dollars that that the Act actually sets forth. But I will say before I get into that. Beyond the allocation set forth in the act, there are two general funding mechanisms. And one is what they call a formula allocation. And that's money that's just automatically given out to the states based largely on what they've historically taken from the pie, so to speak. So an extension of those ratios in terms of the new money. And then you have grant programs. Some of those grant programs are competitive and some are non-competitive. And I'm still kind of scratching my head a little bit to figure out what a non-competitive grant is. But uh, the money has to be specifically applied for outside the context of just your state allocation. And obviously, some of these are going to be competitive. But even with the allocations to the states, you're going to have competition among local governments that want that money for their own projects that they care about. So big picture in terms of the dollar breakdowns. The biggest component was really roads, bridges, and major transportation projects. And that's $110 billion of the overall $1.2 trillion. And within that broad category, you have a whole host of different programs, each of which have different names and different missions. And sometimes the names clue into what the mission is. More often, they don't. But the larger ones, there's $40 billion dedicated to bridges, which is good news in light of the very widely publicized bridge collapse in Pittsburgh shortly after this act passed. And then there's a program called Infra, which supports freight and highway projects of a regional or national significance. There's $8 billion for that. Another major program is called RAISE, and that's a competitive grant program that funds surface transportation projects that are also of local or regional significance. And you have an interesting category called Mega Projects, and that's $5 billion. And it's a competitive grant program to support cross-jurisdictional and even ideally multimodal projects that really are too big and ambitious for any local government to take on by itself. So that's the uh, roads, bridges, and transportation piece. Then there are $66 billion for passenger and freight rail. The lion's share of that's probably Amtrak, but you have a whole host of other programs. A lot of them focused on inner city passenger, but also freight, transportation, Under that, I'm kind of going in descending order of of, uh, magnitude
0: here, but I don't mean to break your train of thought, Jeremy. A question here, and you're throwing around these numbers: forty billion for bridges, sixty-six billion for passenger and freight, which raises its own host of questions. But can you put that into perspective? We have a tendency to throw these numbers around, and you know, forty billion. I don't know whether that's enormous or whether that's a drop in the bucket to fix the bridge crisis in america do you have any idea whether that really really represents a significant investment into say bridges
3: well i can tell you the consensus that i've gathered from doing my research and reading on this area is that it's not going to cure all the world's problems it's not enough money to fix everything that said the scope of the investment is really like you hear this term once in a generation or once in a lifetime it really is historic in its scope and magnitude. I think it's something like five percent of GDP. And when you look back historically at previous infrastructure packages, it's only a fraction of that level of spending. And I think that it's, you know, that $1.2 trillion price tag, almost half of that, between five and six hundred billion dollars, is new funding, not just the reauthorization of existing funding. So when you think about it in those terms, it is historically significant, even if it's not going to be enough to cure everything. Right.
0: And that puts it into great perspective. And, and that was very enlightening. But you did raise a second question in my mind, which $66 billion for passenger and freight rail. And you said something to the effect of a lot of that is Amtrak. So when you're talking about fixing roads and bridges that everybody uses... You know, commercial carriers use it, taxpayers use those roads and bridges. But when you're talking about rails, is there some special interest lobbying going on there? Is there, are the rail carriers having to match any of these funds or do they simply reap the benefit?
3: I'm gonna have to confess ignorance to some of that question. I do know that in the the Amtrak context, at least, it's heavily concentrated in the Northeast Corridor where people use Amtrak for commuting to work and all other sorts of things. And that's, you know, really when you look at the, uh, at the guidance that the White House put out, it breaks that category down into the Northeast Corridor and the rest of the national Amtrak network. So certainly there is some preference for that geographical area.
0: Fair enough. Now, I kind of jumped in when you were in the middle of listing out the areas of funding, and um, I think there's some, probably some other very important categories. I, I don't want to skip over it.
3: Yeah, let me pick back up. Please, by all means, feel free to interrupt me because, like I said, these laundry lists can get a little bit tiring. But the next biggest category at $65 billion uh, was the power grid. We'll probably talk about more as we continue. There's an emphasis on clean energy, storage and transmission and improving resiliency and redundancy in these systems to protect against the threat of climate change and also a fair amount of investment for cybersecurity measures to make sure that our energy infrastructure is secure against foreign cyber attacks. There's also an interesting component of that that I wanted to point out, and it's the, the civil nuclear credit program. It's a $6 billion program, and it actually exists to support existing nuclear reactors that are at a risk of being retired and replaced by alternative generation sources that are higher emitting in terms of climate impact. It's kind of a strange thing to see in a clean energy focused bill that we're we're investing in nuclear, but we are for that reason. And then there's something called clean energy demonstrations at $21.5 billion of that electric grid component. And these are kind of like that mega projects category. Large projects, they're focusing on projects that can be engines for job creation, and economic development, while at the same time being clean energy. So there are clean hydrogen projects proposed, carbon capture projects, in addition to some of the things I've already mentioned.
1: Is there any prioritization in the bill or, or otherwise about which projects get funded first? I mean, I, I live in Texas, and Dave and Kristen had an excellent episode about a year or so ago about our electricity grid basically completely failing in the middle of winter, which was not a good time. And so, you know, for folks in our state, we would probably prioritize hardening the grid, getting more resiliency in the grid. But is there a overall prioritization about where the money is going first? I did not see
3: that in my research. It's sort of pretty high level in the act itself. And I think that a lot of those decisions are going to be left to be made by agencies in terms of not not just discretionary decisions, but I think there are logistical considerations as well in terms of how soon they can get organized, particularly for some of these newer programs or brand new programs that they're having to sort of figure out and create uh, on the fly. So yeah, I, I don't know that I think that probably there will be an attempt at least by the local policymakers to get in front of these competitive grant programs to get funding for particular high profile projects like you just described.
2: I'm wondering, Jeremy, I mean, it, this makes me think of like when they first came out with like the PPP loans and the word on the streets was like, hey, when they're out of money for this, they're out of money. So everybody was like, get your apps in real quick. And I, I heard a lot of talk about that. And it makes me wonder, is this gonna be the same thing? Like you better get on it because when that, you know, $66 billion for your category is gone, you're out of luck. Is, it gonna, is there gonna be like a mad dash to secure funding for your projects?
3: I think we're going to see some of that, not to the same extent. And because you have this allocation, the formula allocation component, which really is the larger funding mechanism in this act, there's a real focus in the act to make sure that less advantaged populations don't get left behind in a mad dash for money. Tribal governments, rural governments, places that are often overlooked or left behind. That said, though, like I mentioned earlier, I do believe that we're going to see a lot of competition at the local level for those allocated formula funds to get your project on the approved list with your your state DOT, for example. Here in Ohio, where I live, I sit on the planning commission in my town and we just had a meeting with our village manager. I asked him questions along those same lines. Do we have projects that are sort of shovel-ready, planned and sitting on the shelf that we can just send in to ODOT or wherever and get approval and hopefully, you know, not get left behind on this stuff. And from what I'm gathering, that is a phenomenon that is happening across the whole country as municipalities and county governments and and other local governments are sort of scrambling to get their ducks in a row so that they can take advantage of this stuff. So we're
2: going to see stuff like that happening quickly, right?
3: I think so. I mean, these projects are funded at least for fiscal year 22, which means that that Congress has appropriated the money for them and the money is going to the bureaucracy and it will filter down to the local level. So I think that that positioning and jockeying is happening uh, as we speak.
2: Well, taking a little bit of a left turn, did previously passed COVID relief legislation impact the shape of this bill? And if so, how?
3: Yeah, I think it did. I mean, the collective size of the COVID packages Mm -hmm. uh, was so huge. I think it had an impact on the size, the ultimate size of the infrastructure package and budget hawks were a little less willing to sign on to a $2.3 trillion infrastructure package having just spent all this money on COVID. So that that was one impact. And that was significant. I mean, I think we saw the price tag diminished by $1.2 trillion from what was originally proposed by the White House. But there was also, you know, resistance, at least based on what I read, there was resistance to funding transit to the degree that the Biden administration wanted to. And the reason was that there was so much money. There was about $70 billion in the COVID packages if you added it up devoted to transit. And it was kind of a hard pill for some lawmakers to swallow to give them more significant funds. So I think that it had another impact there.
1: You spoke a little bit about green energy. And of course, that's been a big political topic and important talking point for the current administration. But there's not as much infrastructure, at least in the part of the world where I am, to deliver green energy to the households, the businesses that need it. Is there money in this bill to help get across that chasm and put some more green infrastructure in place?
3: Yeah, there is. And like I said, that. It- green energy is sort of a theme throughout the entire act. And there are certain buckets, I guess I would speak to, in terms of how that manifests itself. So I guess, you know, sort of to try to directly respond to your question, you know, in terms of getting green energy into people's everyday lives. The thing about green energy is that it relies on the same, a lot of the same infrastructure that conventional fossil fuels rely on, at least in terms of like the, the grid, the electric grid. Electricity is electricity regardless of its generation source, and it gets transmitted on transmission lines to distribution lines down to your, your neighborhood. So, you know, the, there's a significant investment, as I said, in the grid, $65 billion. I think $16 billion of that is dedicated only to construction and repair of lines. So, I mean, it's a significant investment there. And, you know, you've also got other green energy things that the, that the Act does. One is sort of a significant investment in electric vehicle charging, trying to ease the nation's reliance on gasoline. And there's $7.5 billion in that bucket under the Act. And the goal there is to create a nationwide network of 500,000 electric vehicle chargers, not just on highways, but also within communities. And then, you know, there's a focus on trying to transition a lot of existing vehicles to electric, like school buses, public buses, transit kind of buses, and passenger ferries. Like I mentioned earlier, there's, at least on the generation side, there's, there's money devoted to, you know, renewable sources like solar, wind, hydrogen, and carbon capture, and the nuclear, the nuclear investment as well. <music>
2: I think this is a great time to do a little bit on the Infrastructure Junkies podcast. Sometimes in the middle of our wonderful conversations, we just take a moment and play a little game. Are you guys up for that?
3: Sure, I'm up for it.
2: All right, Jeremy. And it's really you who is playing the game. So I'm glad you you piped in. (laughs) We play a little game called Over Under Push on Infrastructure Junkies. And on Over Under Push, we will give you three items... And it is your job to tell us whether you think each item is overrated, it's underrated, or eh, it's just a push. It's kind of appropriately rated. Does that make sense? Okay, sure. But the fun part is, Jeremy, at the end of Over Under Push, after you've given us your opinions, I will let you know whether your opinions were correct or not. Does that (laughs) sound fun?
0: Oh, it sounds great. Jeremy, this is what I live with on every episode, by the way. it's (laughs) Kristen's opinions are the only ones that matter, apparently. Well, only on (laughs) over-under
2: push, because it's my game. Okay, so your your items today are very infrastructure junkie-ish. These are things that we talk about on our show quite a bit. So your three items, I'll tell you the three items, and then you can give us your take. Number one, spam. And I'm not talking about email spam. I'm talking about edible spam. Number two, Puma brand apparel. And number three, Billy Squire. Okay, so those are your three. We're going to go one by one. Are you ready?
3: I guess I'm ready, sure.
2: Okay, spam. Is it overrated? Is it underrated or it's a push?
3: Well, my, my take of spam is that it, it's not really very well regarded. So, and, and I kind of agree with that. So I'm going to have to say that it's appropriately rated. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: That was, I mean, you didn't get it the wrongest you could get it, but it's not correct. Spam is actually underrated. It is a delicacy and I'm going to hold up for you what I have on my desk, which is a Spam Can piggy bank because that's how much I love spam. So yeah, spam is actually underrated, but you know what? You did okay. You did all right. Let's talk about Puma brand apparel.
3: You know, uh, probably in the early 2000s, I proudly rocked my Puma sneakers, um, yeah. but I think that that might be a, a brand or fashion uh, that is properly relegated to the dustbin of history. Oh, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, Jeremy. Wait,
2: wait, wait, so are you giving it an overrated? What's what's your answer?
3: Uh, I, I'm going to give it overrated.
2: Oops. All right, Dave, chime in.
0: Hold on, Jeremy, here's what you're missing in your lawyerly analysis, Okay. What do all men in America have in common as they age? Like all of us. Okay, I'll tell you. We all love to go to Costco. Every man loves to go to... In fact, I have tons of friends who, for their birthday, take themselves to Costco. They're all male. And Costco carries the Puma brand. So as you matured out of your... I don't know if that was a Beastie Boys. I think they did Adidas and not Puma and got older, you perused the aisles of Costco and you realized, God, they got some pretty cool socks and shirts and undershirts. I'm going to
3: start wearing Puma again. Well, you know, Dave, if it's, if they're selling it at Costco, uh, it might not be all that hip anymore. I hate to break that to you. <gasps> what?
2: Are your feelings hurt, Dave?
0: All right, Schumacher. Where'd you get this
1: guy from?
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I have to tell you.
1: He's a wise man. I'm impressed.
2: (laughs) I have to tell you, Dave reintroduced me to the Puma brand. High quality. It's durable. And it's very affordable. And you can buy it at Costco. So I'm sorry. You are actually, you're 0 for 2 right now, Jeremy. You're going to have to redeem yourself on this last one. And the last one is Billy Squire.
3: Billy Squire. I hope you're not offended that I'm actually Googling who Billy Squire is. All right, that's the correct answer. (laughs) Okay,
2: for the first time in the history of over, under, push, the correct answer is not over, under, or push. The correct answer is, I don't know who that is. Correct? (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. You win.
0: Okay. Way to go. Okay. (laughs) Billy, Just,
2: Jeremy, don't even bother Googling. It's a has-been guy who used to be some sort of a musician or something that Dave really likes. So you win. Good job. Thank you for participating.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right, Kristen, do you have a legitimate question to ask our guest?
2: Okay, I do, I do, hold on, focus, here we go. Back to the topic at hand. All right, so on infrastructure junkies, we really recently had an episode with Tom Forestier, who is an attorney in Texas, and we talked about his industry. He works in the oil and gas industry and we talked about fossil fuels and his concern is that what he's done in his entire career is really falling into disfavor. And frankly, fossil fuels are still hugely important to our economy, to the energy industry, and to our infrastructure. And is this bill disfavoring fossil fuels? Is oil and gas kind of out on their own? Or is there, is there something for them here as well?
3: No, I think that his fears are justified. You know, if you look through the bill, there is no component set aside for the oil and gas industry. And really, fossil fuels are left behind in this. And it really does take on an interesting dimension, obviously, with the war in Ukraine and the global strain on petroleum that has accompanied that. I don't know what's going to happen with that industry. I, I am very interested to see. And historically, I've represented some clients in that space. And, you know, it would be it would be nice to see some love given to that sector since, like you said, I mean, it is still very important and very much part of our energy recipe here in the States as well as around the world. So I guess time will tell.
0: Jeremy, I am frequently a cynic, at least on the Infrastructure Junkies podcast, and This is such an enormous, we've already talked about what an enormous investment this is. And I I don't have but so much faith in my legislated leaders or my leaders in the legislature, I should say. And to me, there has to be pork in this. There's gotta be a lot of pork. So my question to you is twofold. Have you identified whether there's pork in this bill? And if so, can you share any insight on that?
3: Yeah, you know, from what I've read and gathered from colleagues, I mean, there is there is some and there's some discussion in terms of pork earmarks, whatever you want to call it. And my understanding is really more limited to the how that factors into the the allocations and the, and the formula spending. You know, these earmark pro projects they count against particular states, whatever relevant uh, formula allocation is, if it's surface transportation or what have you. But, you know, really where where I've seen the the earmarks and the fork being more in the news, it does relate to this. and And that's with respect to this fiscal year 22 omnibus appropriations bill. And, you know, that was the funding mechanism for a large portion of the act, at least for fiscal year 22. I think I read, if you looked at that bill, there's something like 367 pages of the bill Devoted to these earmarks. Uh, you've got like over 5,000 projects at a cost of $9.7 billion. I mean, too many, obviously, that you really even detail. So, you know, it, 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 since, the, since the earmark came back recently, this is definitely going to be an area where you're going to see it. Hopefully, not for another <laughs> bridge to nowhere.
0: amen amen so here here, here's the thing is i am also a practicing lawyer like you and clint and i practice in this field and the question i get most commonly is hey how can i get up to speed on this how can i hit the high points so how did you get up to speed how did you have so many answers to these questions And where can other people who are interested in this bill and its effects and and its components, how can they get up to speed on it besides listening to this
3: podcast? That's a great question. The act is 1,039 pages long. The White House put out an official sort of guidebook, which is, I guess you could call it an executive summary, but it's, it's 465 pages long. It is extraordinarily difficult to get your arms around this. And where I'm coming at this from, I'm not a legislative lawyer. I'm not a policy person. I'm an eminent domain lawyer. And for me, I was most interested in sort of keying in on those parts of the act that were going to be relevant to eminent domain activity, where you're going to have right of way position, that kind of thing. And I found the, the White House guidebook to be extremely helpful even though it is rather cumbersome. It's called uh, Building a Better America. And if you just go to the website for the White House, I'm sure you can find a link to it or Google it. And it's not an underestimation to say that virtually every federal agency that is in charge of one piece or another of this funding has its own dedicated website for this act and how the money's gonna get ultimately distributed to the local governments and, and the people who are doing these projects. I found most useful the websites for the Federal Highway Administration. There was also I mean, Railroad Administration, the Federal Transit Administration. They all have websites. And one, one cool one that we didn't really talk about much, but you know, there's money in the Act for Airports. And the Federal Aviation Administration actually has an interactive map where you can go and it's got every airport in the country lit up as a point that you can click on. And it'll tell you how much money it is getting for fiscal year 22 for this money. So those kinds of places are really useful resources for me. uh, And I'd certainly recommend them to anyone who's interested in learning more.
1: Jeremy, I am so thankful that you carved out some time to come and visit with us on our respective shows. I, I kind of like Dave was saying, I get questions about what is this bill like? And I went to download it and it found out what you just shared, which is, it is mind-numbingly long. And so when I saw your CLE come across my email, I'm like, I, I gotta listen to this. I wanna, I wanna hear what he has to say. And you were so impressive and have been so impressive over the last several minutes that we've got to spend with you. So thank you for bringing your knowledge. We're very, very thankful. I always conclude the Eminent Domain podcast with a segment that we call our cross-examination segment, which is a series of fun, quick-hitting questions that are designed to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. It's not nearly as creative as Kristen's, you know, over-under-push segment, <laughs> but do you mind playing along with me? Sure. All right. So, Jeremy, do you have a book or podcast recommendation for
3: our listeners? You know, since the pandemic came on, and I've been working from home a lot more. My podcast listening has kind of gone down somewhat, but there's one that I always liked uh, and they're still doing it. It's called Stuff You Should Know. And it's kind of like this. It's a couple of normal guys. They're not lawyers, but they just like to learn and they bone up on topics and, and talk about it. But, you know, that'd probably be my podcast recommendation. You know, and I know you didn't ask about TV shows. I'm kind of a TV junkie. Oh yeah, um, do, do share I would recommend, if you haven't seen it, Yellowstone, because for for your eminent domain listeners, because it actually has a lot of eminent domain topics in it. In fact, the opening scene is an eminent domain, like a necessity hearing. And then, you know, as the seasons go on, there there are more and more issues. There's this tension between the private property owners, the ranchers, and whether they can keep out development. So I'd recommend that as well.
2: All right. Now I have to watch it. You're about the 100th person to tell me to watch this show. And I don't know why I haven't yet, but I'm on it.
1: Well, I think the creator lives in your county, Kristen. So it's, it's yep. uh, a travesty that you haven't seen it. I know. All right. Know. So we know you're not on the Puma brand, but what fashion trends do you wish would come back <laughs> into style?
3: You know, I'm thankful for the magic of radio. podcasting so that your your listeners cannot see me, but if they could, they they notice that I am a pretty bald guy. So, you know, I would probably go with men wearing hats as a an ongoing fashion trend. Now we're talking about fedoras or baseball caps. What's your pleasure? Anything to cover up this dome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. If you could put any message on a billboard, Jeremy, for thirty days, what would it be?
3: geez, can I say an advertisement for my practice? No, <laughs> that, just, that works. I'm just kidding. Um, there's a farm down the road from where I live. And I don't know the people that live there, but they have like a grain silo. And at the top of the grain silo, they have this sign and it's just one word, black letters on a white background. And it just says, think. Mm. And I go by it and I think that is a great little sign. So i probably say something like that.
1: Man, we need to put that sign up in our house. I have three teenage boys and that should be a, a daily motto. <laughs> well, Jeremy, man, this has been valuable. How do people find you? If people have internet domain questions in Ohio or further questions about this bill, how do they find you?
3: Well, my website address for my firm is ralaw.com. And my bio's on there. Um, my email address, and anyone's welcome to email me. And uh, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to respond and point you in the right direction. It's Jay Young at ralaw.com. And
0: I'm going to email you some links to some Billy Squire videos. Would that be okay?
3: You know, I'll have to get with my IT department and see if we can figure out a, a filter to, to keep that stuff away from me.
0: Oh.
2: That a boy, Jeremy. Woo!
0: <laughs> thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining <laughs> us on <laughs> Infrastructure <laughs> Junkies. It was great to chat with you. And listeners, well, check him out.
2: Check him out. And Jeremy, thank you for being a good sport. We appreciate yeah, it.
3: Yeah, no problem. Maybe I'll give spam another try.
2: Do it. It's a, as we call it, it's a culinary delight.
3: <laughs> great. Well, thank you all for having me on. It's been a pleasure. So, Mimi,
0: what do you like better, Infrastructure Junkies or the Eminent Domain Podcast?
3: This is such an easy question. I can't believe you would ask me this. Clint Schumacher is way better than you guys.
2: What? Yeah.